There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. If you have your Bible, take it and turn to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter number 27. Exodus chapter number 27. We've been going through the tabernacle and kind of taking an aerial view, working our way into the tabernacle. And, and I've, I've got several resources that I, uh, that I look at and, and draw from and things. But I have yet to see one where they did an entire chapter or message on what we're going to cover tonight. And so uh, uh, this is, this is uh, kind of all my my kind of putting together here from different authors and streaming it together. And so I, this has been a special blessing to me this week. And so I want us to all stand in honor and reverence to God's Word at the gate of the tabernacle. Look at Exodus 27 and look at verse number 16. Exodus 27 and verse number 16. And for the gate of the court shall be an hanging of twenty cubits of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen, wrought with needlework, and their pillars shall be four and their sockets four. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I simply want to preach on tonight's topic, the gate of the tabernacle. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we come thanking you for every member of this church and how you have placed them here and, and put them according to your will and purpose. And God, we want to pray for Elvis and his family and his son Ethan. I pray you'd touch them, strengthen them. God, we pray that you'd, be, that you'd bless them particularly, Father. God, thank you for all of that you have gathered here tonight. Now, now, Father, I pray you'd center our attention upon your word. And I pray that you would focus us in. And, and maybe in our mind's eye, take us back to the desert sands of the, of the Sinai Peninsula. And you'd, you'd place us near this strange-looking building. And I, Father, I pray that you'd take us step by step and you'd show us yourself. Show us your blessed Son, the Lord Jesus, as He's seen in this tabernacle. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. We, we will. We will. When I started college years ago, I, you have to picture this. I was four and, a half, four and a half hours away from my home for the first time in my life. I was in a brand new city, a brand new school, brand new people. I knew hardly anybody other than the coach of the basketball team there. And so when you're in an environment that's new and you're learning a lot of new things, uh, how many of you have a pro- problem sleeping when you got a lot of new things going on? You're learning new stuff, you toss and turn all night. Well, for me, it causes some really strange dreams. And I'll dream about things and problems in the night. I remember when I went to college, I had the strangest dream. I, I, I knew the next day was the first day of class and 
And during that day, I spent the day trying to find where the classes are. That'd be something to know, right, before you take off. So I spent the day looking for different things, found my classes. That night I went to bed and I began to dream about looking for those classes. And I remember one particular class I was thinking about that I'd just gotten up and I'd gotten ready for class and I was on my way to that building. And I knew where it was and in my dream I kept turning around every corner of that building and all I would see would be a brick wall. I'd turn, well maybe the door's right here and I'd turn that door and, and, and sure enough there wouldn't be a door. And I remember going around that building and getting into a panic. It's time for class and I can't find a door into the building. I know that's a, this is a bad opening illustration, but it's all I can find, all right? But, but it was a situation where there was no door. Now, the next morning I woke up, it was all a dream, and was able to make it to my class. Well, as we, as we peer back at, in time at the tabernacle scene and in the valley below the Mount Sinai, we sense that there's no one really walking around those making laps around that particular fence that we talked about last week. Nobody's really going, mainly the focus is on one end of that tabernacle, one end of that building, and that would be the place of interest. It's uh, the place of entrance. It's on the east side of that building. Remember that tabernacle proper, that uh, the, the small tent inside that uh, that courtyard was facing eastward. Well, this would be the gate, the entrance on the east side on the section of that fence. It was the gate, the door, the entrance of the tabernacle. You remember what Jesus said in John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. As I read through several books, I saw how that, that phrase, the way, the truth, and the life is very much typified by the three coverings that we see in the tabernacle. There are three, one right after another. This first one, which we'll talk about tonight, is the covering or the hanging for the outer gate. Then there's one on the entrance of the tabernacle proper. Remember I said that's that tent in the center. I printed out 20 copies of my picture tonight and I didn't hand them out. Well, you can remember from the pictures last week, hopefully you got it in your Bible. But there's that there's a, a, a hanging right there on the entrance of that tent. And then on the inside of that tent, there is yet another hanging before you enter the place called the holy or the most holy place. The place where the Ark of the Covenant and God of very God dwell. And so when we look at that, if you'll remember that Jesus said, I am the way. Well, that would be a distinct reference to this one opening, the only way into the tabernacle. Jesus also said in John 10, 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Oh, what a picture do we find here in this tabernacle. The only way to have sin dealt with. There's no other place in the camp. The only place to have sin dealt with. The only place to have forgiveness of sin is right here at this door. I believe that this door is a vivid picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so tonight, I want to bring this picture into sharp focus with the important, with three important aspects of this gate for us to see to bring the picture of the Lord Jesus into sharp focus. So three aspects 
and will be done. I want you to see the first aspect is this. I want you to see the arrangement of the gate. The arrangement of the gate. Now the gate of the tabernacle, like I said, was at the center on the east side. It would be on the short side of the rectangle of the tabernacle courtyard. It was on the east side. And this uh, tabernacle door was approximately seven and a half feet. Now if you'll remember from last week, all of the hangings around the whole courtyard were seven and a half feet tall. Approximately, that's by the uh, the uh, uh, cubit measurement, uh, elbow to the wrist, and uh, all that. But approximately seven and a half feet tall, and the door itself was thirty feet wide. Yeah, thirty feet wide. And well, in our very verse, the gate of the courtyard shall be hung twenty cubits. That would be equal about thirty feet of blue, of purple, of scarlet, fine twine linen, wrought with needlework, and their pillars shall be four. And their sockets four. So if you can picture this in your mind, picture four distinct pillars at the gate, and the hangings from this gate would be different. They'd be different color than all the rest of the courtyard fencing. So picture that in your mind. This gate was at the front. Now I want you to see a few things about this gate and its arrangement. Notice, first of all, I want you to notice, first of all, the existence of a gate the existence of the gate i went i want to point out the fact that there is even a gate to begin with you see exodus in exodus chapter 3 when god, when moses talked to god and moses said lord when i go to these people the children of israel in slavery who shall i tell them sent me you remember what god said he said tell them i am that i am what we find in that word, that He is the self-sufficient God. He needs nothing from you. He needs nothing from anyone. He is all-powerful, all-present. He is all-knowing God. He, he in and of Himself needs nothing from anyone. He could have made that white court fence a wall all the way around an impenetrable wall of righteousness. He could have made it where there's no door and only a white fence that went around. You could have been just like in my dream. You could have walked around and around and around and around that fence and never found a way in. He could have made it an impenetrable wall of righteousness. But thank God he looked down and had mercy. God and mercy made a way. And so the arrangement of this, I want you to see first of all, is the existence of a door. Notice, second of all, not only the existence of the gate, but I want you to see the exclusivity of the gate. It's not only, uh, it is not one a continuous wall of white, but God allowed for a single door. Acts 4.12, Peter told, Acts 2.12, Peter told, uh, excuse me, Acts 4.12, Peter told that, uh, that Sanhedrin, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Listen, there is only one door, but thank God there's a door. Hey, can you, can you say amen to that? I'm not, I don't really poke and prod for amens, but it looks like I may have to tonight. There's only one door 
But thank God there's a door to begin with. There's a place, a way in, a way to fellowship with God. God in grace and mercy sent His only Son, the Lord Jesus, to make access to the Father possible. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know that the grace, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that He, that He, though He was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, that we through His poverty might be rich. Oh, Jesus, who sat upon the thrones of eternity, who needed nothing, needed no one, robed Himself in human flesh and dwelt among us, making a way, a possibility of entrance to God. If you'll notice in our verse number uh, number 16, it references four pillars that hold up this gate, that hold up this opening. I'm not completely shocked that they used the number four or that God used the number four because you realize that's exactly how many Gospels we have. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four pillars, four trumpets of truth that give us in detail the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is an exclusive, single way to God, and it is through Jesus Christ. It's not through your church attendance. It's not through your lineage. It's not because your daddy was a preacher, your mama was a preacher, or I hope that's not the case, but uh, it's not because you, uh, you founded this church or you've been here all your life. It is by Jesus, and Jesus alone is the gate. An exclusive gate. Thank God there's a gate. Oh, listen, it's a narrow, it's a narrow gospel. I'll admit it. It's a narrow gospel to give to the world, to give to the Muslim and the Hindu and the Chinese and the Russian and the Indian. Oh, but praise God, at least there's one door of hope. There's one door of chance. There's one opportunity. And it is by Jesus Christ. It is, a, it is the arrangement of the gate. There is a gate, but only one gate. Notice, second of all, not only the arrangement of the gate, but I want you to see the appearance of the gate. The appearance of the gate. Now, this gate was one of three hangings, like I told you about earlier. There, were, there was a second hanging at the entrance of the tabernacle proper, and then the last was a hanging uh, right there before you enter the most holy place. These were designed differently than the fence. Look at our verse. Look at verse 16. And for the gate of the court shall be a hanging of 20 cubits, listen to this, of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen wrought with needlework. This was different. Remember what we read last week about how that the, the linen fence that made up the courtyard, there was no such thing about fine, or no such thing about blue and purple and red and all these colors. No, they were that linen color, that white color, which spoke of the righteousness of God's law, the righteousness and perfection of Jesus Christ. But here we have something entirely different. We have all these colors. Now I believe that each and every one of these colors point to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice first of all, notice the first uh, color is blue. Blue it represents the deity of Christ. We often identify blue with the heavens or the sky above. Blue speaks of the heavens, the place of Jesus' origin. It is significant. To, it signifies His deity. 
In the Old Testament, Isaiah said that the Messiah would be Emmanuel, God with us. In John 1.1, he opens that great gospel with the words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you skip over to verse 14, and he said, The Word that was God and was with God, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among men, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was God of very God. Blue represents the deity of Jesus. Notice second of all, notice the next color. It says purple. Purple represents the royalty of Christ. Both the lineages in Matthew and in Luke Trace the lineage of Jesus back to King David. Matter of fact, Luke goes all the way, I believe, back to Adam. But it goes all the way to King David. And so it's though, and, and so thereby it is denoting the royal line of Jesus. Peter, you remember that message we preached on the day of Pentecost? How that Peter's resurrection message, a majority of it was proving that Christ was indeed of the seed of David. David entitled to be king of the Jews. Revelation 19, 6, it's clearly the, the, the end of the scriptures denotes that Jesus Christ is both king of kings and lord of lords. He is king, royal, in his, in, in royal representing the color purple here, the royalty of Christ. We see blue represents the deity. Purple represents the royalty. Look at the scarlet. It represents the humanity. Notice what he said. Uh, uh, 20 cubits of blue and purple and scarlet. The word scarlet here indicates the humanity of Jesus. You realize that the name Adam in the Hebrew actually means red. Red. In the, in the first Adam, we are plunged into sin's curse. But in the second Adam... In Christ Jesus, in the human Christ, the humanity of Christ, He was all God and all man. We are freed from that law. And given opportunity of salvation. Philippians 2, 7 says, He made Himself to be no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Listen to, listen to Romans 5, 18 and 19. Oh, what a, what a wonderful account we have here. Listen to what He said. Therefore, as by, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men to the justification of life. Did you hear that? By the fault of one, all men are condemned. But by the, the, by, by the pleasure and, the, and the, the purity of the Lord Jesus, all can be made right. He goes on to say in verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Oh, just sin. Adam sinned and was disobedient and we were cursed because of it. But because of the purity of the Lord Jesus in His humanity, we find that we have been freed and given an opportunity of salvation. The scarlet represents His humanity. It also points to the cross of Calvary. The blood in which He shed His on the Calvary's cross. The blood of Christ. The scarlet represents His humanity. The purple, His royalty. The blue, His deity. Also the white. Look at what it said. 
Blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen. That would be the same material that the whole courtyard was made of. So it was white. I, 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 no one really knows the design that was done. We can't really tell. I, I've, looked, I've looked at a lot of models and a lot of pictures and things people drew up. And oftentimes people will draw uh, some kind of, of, uh, of ornate uh, uh, design of all these colors in that front gate. But we really don't know what it looks like. We know what the colors were, but we really don't know what exactly it looked like. But we know that white was involved. A fine twine, twined Egyptian white linen speaks of, like we said last week, the purity and the righteousness of Christ. First Peter one nineteen states, First uh, Peter one nine one nineteen states that Jesus is the unspotted Lamb of God. In First John three five. John the Apostle said, and we know that He was manifest to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in Him. Hebrews 4.15 For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we, yet without sin. Even his worst enemy, Luke 23, 4, Pilate said, I find no fault with this man. He was sinless, pure, holy, unspotted by this world. Notice the white represents the purity. The scarlet represents the humanity. The purple represents the royalty. The blue, the deity. Finally, notice what it says. It says, wrought with needlework. Wrought with needlework. It represents the beauty. Of Christ, I couldn't really find this in any of the comparison books, but my mind was immediately drawn with this. This 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 needlework wasn't just a hodgepodge of threads going in and out of that linen. No, this was beautifully wrought. This was beautifully made. This was something to behold. It was a something that attested to the beauty of God. Although the Lord Jesus Christ came and did die on a cross, His whole mission when He was born in Bethlehem was to die and to live a sinless life and to die on a cruel, rugged cross. Yet His life was a masterpiece yet his life was a masterpiece of beauty of kindness of love and compassion that has yet to be met and yet to be achieved in this world today the love of God is manifest in the Lord Jesus never man spake as he spake never man performed the miracles that this man did never never man walked the path that this man did all the beauty of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. That gives us the appearance of the gate. It points us to the Lord Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. Notice thirdly and lastly, we see not only the arrangement of the gate and the appearance of the gate, but finally I want you to see the admittance of the gate. Now let's remember we're on our imaginary uh, top of the line uh, time uh, time travel 747. We've gone back to the sands of Mount Sinai, right there below Mount Sinai, where they set up this tabernacle for the first time. And we, we've flown down and we've gotten out and we've seen this great, unusual courtyard and we've walked a little closer. And now we notice some, uh, some what's going on at this gate. And we notice some several similarities between all the people that approach this gate. 
we, they approach it in a certain way. And I want you to see that, first of all, in the admittance of this gate. I want you to see the sacrifice of admittance. All these people that have been coming up to this gate have not come empty-handed. They have, these people have been approaching the gate with some sort of animal with them. An animal, an, an animal that looks closely, that's looked at closely. As we maybe as onlookers, unknowing what's going on, we would see this person, maybe he'd have turtle doves, maybe he was poor and had two turtle doves. Or maybe he came with a lamb or a bullock or a goat, but he would come to that tabernacle and he would stand there as a, as a priest would come out and he would begin to give that animal the once over. He would look at its hooves and look at its hair and look at its uh, forehead and all of its, all of its legs and all of its parts. He'd look under the wing of that bird and look for, he was looking for something, some kind of blemish maybe, something that might reject it as a sacrifice. But he found none. Leviticus 1.3 tells us if his offering to be if his offering be excuse me if his offering be burned sacrifice of the herd let him offer a male without blemish and he shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Oh, you see the you see the man with the animal there has violated God's law could well be that he stood in judgment before God, that the condemnation of his sin may well be death. But yet he comes with this animal in hand. God allowed a way. Oh, I love it. At the end of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, right at the end of the Ten Commandments, before you exit that chapter, God's already making, say, I want you to build an altar. (laughs) You need an altar. If I'm going to give you this law, you need a way to make things right because you'll never keep it. You'll never be able to achieve it. Oh, thank God He made a way to where we could bring a sacrifice. We could bring someone in this Old Testament era and economy, they could bring something as a scapegoat, as a replacement, as a substitute for the judgment that they rightfully deserved. Oh, for three and a half years the Lord Jesus Christ in and around Jerusalem lived in the dusty trails of this life he knew what it was to hunger and to thirst he knew what it was to feel pain and rejection and for three and a half years he was under the scrutiny of the law and what did he say in Galatians chapter 4 he was a man born of woman made under the law the law looked at him and, and analyzed him and looked at every path, every step. Jesus said, who convinceth me of sin? The men with him three and a half years could not lay a finger. Not even one, not even one moment of guile or deceit was found in his mouth. Oh, and then he, the Lord Jesus, was a sacrifice kind for kind. He would say, well, Brother Ronnie, this man came to the gate with something. This, this man came to that, to that uh, gate with something, some kind of animal, some kind of sacrifice. And I agree. I completely agree. Oh, but when Jesus Christ died upon that cross, He was the kind for kind sacrifice. There's no way that the blood of bulls and of goats and of ashes of an heifer could cleanse sin. It's not kind for kind. It's not person for person. No, the Lord Jesus Christ was the spotless Lamb of God that is an acceptable sacrifice before Almighty God. Jesus was that sacrifice. The sacrifice of admittance. 
And so when you approach that door, you can in confidence that the sacrifice has already been given. One ultimate sacrifice covers all of our sin. Notice the sacrifice of admittance. But also, I want you to see the scene of admittance. Once the animal has been approved, has been inspected and combed over, that beautiful gate is opened up and the sinful man is, is and the unblemished sacrifice are admitted in and the scene changes. Now you think about it. Let's just perch on his shoulder. Let's just watch him as he goes in. He's standing there before that beautiful 30 foot wide, 7 and a half foot tall gate with the finest embroidery that the children of Israel, their hands could make. All the blue and the scarlet and the, and the white and, the, and all of the purple on that, the beautiful ornate design as he stands there with his sacrifice and that, that priest bows down and he begins to look at that animal. He looks in his mouth and behind his ears and on his head and all over his body. Once that priest gives his approval, I can imagine that priest as he takes that curtain, that gate, and begins to open it up and that man with his animal walks in just on the other side of that gate the scene completely changes. That which was beautiful, that which was glorious, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ on, on the turf of Calvary. It was a terrible, bloody, awful scene. That man walked beyond that veil or that gate and saw nothing but bloodshed and gore of dissection and uh, entrails and blood and gore and the cry and the gurgle uh, the cry of the animals the gurgle of death in their throats the stench of the burning fire of flesh oh listen the way of Jesus Christ takes us to no other place but the cross of Calvary if you're going to come by the way if you're going to come by Jesus Christ you can't come by Jesus as a teacher you can't come by Jesus as a great social reformer. You can't come by Jesus as a great moral example. You've got to come as a dirty, rotten sinner to the place of sacrifice, to the foot of the cross, to the place of bloodshed where Jesus shed His precious blood. The place of blood, the place of suffering and horror. Sin is always gruesome. Sin is always ugly. God must judge sin. That's why on the other side of the way of Jesus, you'll find, you'll find the cross of Calvary. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. Romans 3.24 and 25, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins past through the forbearance of God. Oh, this man has to go by the way of the cross. Right after, we're, we're going to look at that altar next week, right after that gate, stands the cross. If you're going to come the way of Jesus, the only way to come is by the cross of Calvary. The only way you're going to meet Him is at a place where He died for your sins. Oh, listen, the only way you're going to meet Christ is in repentance. You come. There'll be a sacrifice available. Jesus' blood is plenteous enough to forgive of sin. There'll be a sacrifice. But you must come and face the horrors of Calvary's cross because in the back of this man's mind, 
in the back of this man's mind, he knew that fire was meant for me. That bloodshed, that throat cutting, that gurgling should have been mine. Oh, but at that, at that moment, he places his hand on this sacrifice and tells that priest that this lamb, this bullock, he'll pay the sacrifice for sin. He'll pay that which I cannot pay in myself. Oh, that's what genuine salvation is, is to come to the point where we place our hand on the cross of Calvary and say, I take Him as my sacrifice for sin. I deserve the cross, but I identify with Him as my lamb, as my sacrifice for sin. He took my place on Calvary's cross. You see, that is the scene of admittance on the other side of that gate. I want you to think back to my goofy dream. You remember my goofy dream? How that I went around and around that school building and never, never could find a way in, never could find the door. The time for class is getting closer and closer and I'm in a panic. Can you imagine what life would have been like? Had there been no door? I was. I went to a, a shower yesterday, and a, a baby shower. Carrie wasn't able to go. It was a preacher friend of mine, and I took a gift and stand there talking to him and kind of talking about what you're preaching about and what's going on in church. What are you teaching on? And and I, I told him we're teaching on tabernacle. And I I stood there and I began to tell him I think I'm gonna preach on the gate. And the first thing out of my mouth, I said, I said, Neil. Can you imagine if there had never been a gate? If there had never been a gate, God, God didn't have to put a gate. God didn't have to put a way in. Oh, I'd have been going around that fence all my life trying to find a way in, never meaning up to the standards of God's righteousness, never meaning up to His holy law, always being condemned and on the outside. Oh, but thank God He made a gate. Thank God there was a way in when there was no way, when the righteousness of the law said, you stay out, you can't come any further. Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ in His person, in His, in His divinity, in His humanity, in His royalty, in His redemption on the cross, made a way for me to approach God. Oh, think about your life had it not been for Jesus wandering aimlessly around that wall. Wandering aimlessly around that wall, never finding a way in. Listen, if you're here today and you've wandered around that law and the, the conviction of sin, the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the law of God uh, piercing your conscience on the inside, listen, there's a gate. There's a way in. You can be forgiven of sin. You don't have to be on the outside. You're looking in. You can be on the inside. Oh, it is by trusting Jesus Christ and Him alone. Let's all stand to our feet. Elvis, if you'd come with a song of invitation. Oh, listen. This kind of message has one intent. It has one intent to draw those that are unsaved to Jesus. And its other intent is to draw those that know Jesus closer to Him. Closer to Him. God could have left you. God could have left you in your ignorance and in your sin to die and split hell wide open. But God in your path stuck a gate. God in your path stuck a strange building, a strange person, Jesus of Nazareth, a message that said you can have fellowship with God, but it is by this one way, and it is Jesus. Oh, listen.
but to God we love Jesus more. I think about all the ailments that we brought out this morning and I don't know if I made it clear. I stumbled and bumbled through that whole message this morning. Oh, but listen, Jesus is the answer to our cold, dead hearts. Jesus is the answer to our hatefulness of one another and our lack of love. Jesus is the answer for our ungenerosity, our, 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 our unwillingness to be generous. Jesus is the answer to all that ails the church of the living God. May a message like tonight draw us closer to the Lord Jesus. May we approach that cross tonight in thanksgiving and praise. Oh, listen, I'm giving half the message away from like, for next week. So you might, have, you might hear half a rerun next week about the cross. But oh, listen, that gate made it possible that I could get to that altar. That gate made it possible that I could get to that cross. Thank God he sent a gate. <laughs> Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, God, I thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. God, I've worried about this message so much, but you are so faithful. God, you are so loving and wonderful that if I'll just point my Bible in the direction of Jesus, you'll lead me to the cross. You'll lead me to a blessing. You'll lead me to that which my, which my own mind and my own eyes cannot see. They must be directed by the Holy Spirit of God. God, I pray you did that in other people's eyes tonight besides mine. Now, Father, we pray for those that, that uh, infiltrate these pews that have never been on the inside. Oh, mom and daddy is on the inside, but they're standing on the outside. Oh, son and daughter is on the inside, but I'm standing on the outside. Oh, God, I pray that today they would approach the cross of Calvary. I pray that they would approach the person of Jesus. Be convicted of their sin. Come with assurance. There is a sacrifice. There is a way in. Oh, God, I pray that you'd help us to cling closer to the Lord Jesus. Help us to love that gate. Help us to love that there was a gate at all that God could have left me in my sin, but in grace and mercy. Oh, and God, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Thank God you looked down on my hell-deserving life, my judgment life, but you saw something. You saw something that drew you to me. Oh God, we thank you that you looked upon us and you found grace. You found grace upon us, Father. You gave us grace. Father, we pray for those in this room that are lost. We pray that they'd find grace in the eyes of the Lord, that they'd be delivered, that their eyes would be open to the truth of the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.